Hello, you've reached the Running From Diabetes hotline. To enter a race, plus one. To enter your blood sugars, press two. To gripe about being a diabetic, press three. To listen to the podcast, press four. Welcome to the Running From Diabetes Podcast. This is Kevin Kilograms, and this is my audio journal of my life dealing with diabetes as I train for endurance sports. Bye bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle! Welcome to the Running From Diabetes Podcast. It's Kevin Kilograms, and it is a uh, Oh, we're in May now. May 3rd. Honey and I are just out on a three-miler out and back uh, walking. Middle of the afternoon. Yeah, that means that I don't have any work this day. I haven't had any work this week. Luckily, I did for the last couple weeks. Found some pretty, go- pretty cool jobs. Uh, unfortunately, heavy window jobs, so... <laughs> I uh, strained my shoulder. I don't know if I pulled a muscle or pinched something. Or, by the way, uh, I apologize for wind, any wind noise that comes up. I did some testing and I, I put the wind mic on. Now it's a little foam pad that I have that I wrap around the mic. Uh, I switched headsets. I don't know if you guys remember. I, I broke my last headset and I had a really nice wind mic on it. This one is just a cheapy little set of foam that it works, but nowhere near it works, works nowhere near as nice. Um, so yeah, lifting up these several hundred pound sliding glass doors, you know, we, you know, we disassemble them the best we can, but uh, unlike the doors of yore, or the more expensive ones are all wood. No, nice wood, and you can unscrew and disassemble them, the frames I'm talking about, and then as long as you have a good caulking, you can put them back together, and of course, you know, we're pros, we know what the heck we're doing, we do that, but these, uh, the in windows are these vinyl windows, and again, I can live with the vinyls that set in, they're called flange windows. But the retrofits, that's when you take the actual glass portion of the old window out, but leave the frame in because it's part of the window construction. And as long as you don't have a, a leak, you slide in a new frame in with a, a window and you cock that new frame to the old frame. It's not the best of circumstances from a professional standpoint. Uh, if you're in a high wind or a high rain area, I would avoid it like a heart attack. If you're in sunny Southern California where the rain is, you know, we get very little rain, and you're not riding up against the ocean, a retrofit window is fine. It'll work. We just got to use a really, really good adhesive caulk. Um, and that, I'm not going to get into my professional secrets. But needless to say, I've been picking these... You can't disassemble these windows, so 
other than the sash that comes out, you still have to carry these big-ass windows. <laughs> and, you know, in order to save money, we don't hire a huge amount of assistance. It would be nice to move the window that way. And when we get the really heavy ones, sometimes we have to hire a few extra people. But basically, we're hiring them just to move the window. And then, you know, there's a minimum that you pay these guys. You know, at least half a day. You, know, you tell them, I'm only, only going to hire you half a day. But you need to hire them a half a day for how many days you're installing windows. I don't know. Um, but it hurt my shoulder, so I've been bitching and moaning all week long. Which doesn't mean I haven't been walking. I've been actually pushing the walking, cir- the walking circuit here. Getting a lot of three and four milers in. Oh, a little wind there. Sorry. Um, feeling good. You know, uh, last night, for whatever reason, uh, we did a, I made slip pea soup and uh, I had these, um, I have a bunch of um, uh, polenta. Couldn't think of the word. All come to mind as grits, but there's a slight difference between the two, not much. And discerning palate might figure it out. I have trouble figuring it out, except the way I'm going to cook them. And so I had all this polenta, and I thought, you know, why just have a, a crusty bread that I'm not really going to be able to eat because I'm working really hard at staying at the whole grain side? And it has these. Uh, steel cut corn you know steel cut corn which is polenta that I can cook in a I cook in a fat free you know non-fat milk and a lot of water the milk it's like a half a cup of milk to three cups of water salt pepper and some flavoring and then I mix a little parmigiano reggiano into the mix at the end and then I it gets soupy and thick, I uh, pour it into a baking dish and put it in the oven at 375 for uh, about half an hour. Bake some of the moisture out of them and they come out, you know, sort of crispy on top and soft inside, somewhat soft inside, but, um, you know, they, uh, they hold a, hold a, they hold the form, the form. You cut them out in like uh, brownie size and they hold that form. And that was the bread. And uh, if you get steel cut polenta, it is a whole grain. Um, but it shot my blood sugar through the roof. And I start pumping just a ton of insulin. And 9.30 last night, you know... I stood up out of bed, and it's time to go to bed, and I stood up, threw on my running gear, turned to my wife and said, I'm tired of a high sh- this high sugar, just tired of feeling like shit, and, uh, excuse my French, and uh, grabbed the dog, and out we went for a brisk three-miler, and son of a gun, if it didn't knock it down, now, it was a test, because... As I've told you, 250 seems to be my my mark that the blood sugar tends to rise. Well, I figured out that if I stay at a moderate walk for a while, 
and then accelerate to brisk and don't go into a run, then I can go out with a much higher sugar. But I feel like dirt for a while. And uh, almost like stopping every quarter mile to you know, feel like you're going to throw up for a second. That getting too graphic, you know, you get that little spit up. Uh, but you work through it couple times of those and and it's the same thing I pretty much would get when I was at home sitting in bed at least I'm proactive with dealing with the sugar high sugar and um it was nice you know I forget a lot of times just how much I really enjoy (laughs) used to run at night all the time I'd run in the mornings when I was training for something I run at night for decompression, uh, thought process, uh, maybe dealing with a client or a, uh, a problem at work, and things never really always got the solution, but things would percolate. And I start to realize that how much I really enjoyed the serenity of a of a night run. Of course, then I started doing a. Uh, the ultras and a lot of those require night running and so how you work I told you in the past how you increase your mileage for a marathon is just by growing it week to week with some modifications for step backs and stuff but in recovery weeks but you can't increase to hit a hundred mile run not straightforward um, some people think that that's possible, but you couldn't do an 80-mile long run on a Sunday and expect to go to work the next day. Not, especially in my job, you know, physical job, not a maybe an office job, but not even then. You know, how do you walk? You know, most people have a hard enough time running a marathon than trying to walk downstairs. It's an act of God. <laughs> if you haven't done a marathon on the stairwalk. You walk downstairs backwards. You turn around like you're going up the stairs. And then you walked. (laughs) That was my first marathon. Man, it was rough. (sighs) Having to be on the third floor. Okay, so uh, how you train like that, and I'm sort of off topic, but I'll give a quick shot at this, is you do a a long run, like a a 20-miler, and the next day, you do a 15-miler, pretty much without um, recovery. And if you're going to be doing overnighters, you may do a 15-mile in the morning and then a 15-miler at midnight. And so, basically what you're doing is you're not letting your body recover and you're teaching it to continue in that non-rested state. I've never run a hundred miler, but I guess going a little bit farther on each of those runs and maybe adding a 35 to a 35 mile total run to a 40 mile total run with uh, breaks in those is how you get there. So, uh, well, <laughs> I guess I even hit the recipe of the week. You know, I talk about a p- baked polenta. 
it's gonna do another one of these cool vegetable soups that I started doing but you know I was reading an article the other day and it just is fascinated me because I've been watching these commercials the high fructose corn syrup people they've got these commercials where they they make people feel like idiots because they're trying to sell their stuff off as you know they're just the same as sugar and in some respects maybe that's true but most people don't know the damaging effect of high fructose corn syrup compared to say regular sugar or anything else for that matter and yes I was one of those stupid people I knew that high fructose corn syrup was a bad thing I just didn't know um, what the bad thing was and so I keep watching it and I'm going you know this is those ad people and I, I was in advertising I know what the bottom line to this advertising you know and way to get people to think alternatively to certain situations and I won't get into I never went as far off the deep end as these people but I know what they were working at so I printed this little paragraph up so I can be a my little education thing here here's the big difference and I'm not reading from the paragraph yet glucose which most foods are broken down by the body and the intestines as glucose you know most of your carbs are broken down that way proteins a different sort of service and the fats a different service but most sugars are broken down as glucose and are put into your bloodstream taken into your cell and processed inside the cell big difference with high fructose corn syrup is your cells can't process it so it's taken from the cells passed over all this or taken into the bloodstream passed over all the cells the cells not taking it in and then it's processed in the liver where it doesn't the energy doesn't get to the cells problem one your body doesn't release the insulin necessary to treat the fructose it so basically fructose is a hormone that sort of opens the gate to the cell that makes the cell uh, allow the glucose to pass into the cell and become energy but if it's not uh, um, the gates not opening up you know the insulin's not there the sugar either stays in your system causing a multitude of problems related to diabetes whether you're diabetic or not raising your blood sugars or it sets in your liver which then starts converting it to fat body fat the other thing it doesn't uh, um, let's see uh, yeah, so boosts the fat storing hormones that make you fat glucose metabolized in the cell fructose must be metabolized in the liver somehow tricks the body into not releasing insulin and leptin two essential hormones that are usually released when you eat without insulin your body can't use the 
calories for energy, and without leptin, your body doesn't know it's full. Plus, unlike table sugar, high fructose corn syrup doesn't stop levels of ghrelin, your hunger hormone, from rising. If you eat or drink high fructose corn syrup, you're actually continuing to consume more calories even 24 hours later than you would if you had just eaten plain table sugar. It also increases triglycerides, which prevent leptin from signaling the brain to stop eating. Triglycerides are uh, a, uh, it's a, ba ba ba. I'm having trouble coming up with the words. Uh, it's a it's a blood fat, like cholesterol. Um, like cholesterol, it's absolutely essential in our in our body, but at high levels, it can be damaging. There's new studies out that's showing that that a uh, high cholesterol isn't the culprit we thought it was. It's not a good thing, but it's not the damaging thing we think. Um, especially people with something called uh, genetic high cholesterol. Genetic high cholesterol, which is, you know, people stop eating the dietary cholesterol and they still have a high cholesterol. Oh, tree fell. Bummer. I'm one of those. And uh, I switched to a full, you know, pretty much, you know, primarily vegetarian diet. And I still get high cholesterol or have high cholesterol. I have to have it controlled with medication. But there, there's a lot of evidence supporting now that that high cholesterol, especially genetic high cholesterol, isn't the boogeyman it used to be. Of course, there's new ones with the blood pressure being 10 times the boogeyman it used to be. Um, my doctor was telling me he believes, and he works for Kaiser and is one of the foremost authorities inside the Kaiser Hospital t- trains other doctors in the, the blood pressure realm. And the reason he does that is because he truly believes that blood pressure is a much more significant problem than the lipid problem, the cholesterol problems. But again, super high levels of cholesterol aren't such a, aren't the, the bad they used to be, but they're still not good. Well, here's the other side of that. Triglycerides, that third blood fat, blood lipid, is uh, considered to be high triglycerides. It's considered to be a lot worse than it used to be. It used to be a, a, an afterthought. You know, you had your lowering of the LDL and wanting to raise the HDL and the relationship between the two of them. Those are the three things that the cholesterol doctors went working for. And now they're really paying attention to this, how we get a triglyceride number, and they go, oh, it's high, but it's not too bad. Uh, it's high, but don't worry about it. I'm more concerned with this LDL. And then when my LDL, excuse me, got so low, I've got it down to a 61. Anything under 100 is good. Yeah, my HDL up to 40. Come on. And the ratio is so, so minuscule that they stopped worrying about it. Uh, But my triglycerides kept growing up, going up. So, without being a doctor, and I don't even play one on TV, 
the bottom line is, is that the research that I've done into the research, <laughs> which isn't substantial, but it's from a few authorities that I do trust, that the way the body processes high fructose corn syrup is so different in our, inside our body that it's actually teaching our body to respond to food wrong, which leads me to consider, how you doing? How screwed up? You know, this stuff comes in the, the sugary drinks and primarily the kids drink. I mean, most of adults that I know have started switching to um, diet colas and whatnot. And I know that's a whole nother nemesis and we'll get into the poisons of of that, but oh my gosh, our kids are just consuming this stuff left and right. You know, when I was a kid, it was a treat to get a soda. It was very rare. I remember at a McDonald's on the corner, and once in a blue moon we went. You got a little bitty hamburger, small fries, and a soda. Summer come around, and we'd head to we go camping, and my parents would buy Shasta Colas and Shasta, the Shasta sodas. And uh, that was pretty much the only time my brother and I got a lot of soda. We'd have two or three cases for three weeks of, of camping. You know, so it wasn't a ton of soda comparatively. Now it's like every meal, and I have my kids starting to switch their, you know, teens and uh, young adults, and now they're starting to pay attention to this whole stuff, and I've got two of my kids who have given up soda, out, out and outright given it up, they're just, the data we've talked about is too frightening for them. Well, got another dog here, so Honey's been having a problem with another dog, so I'm going to have to keep an eye on her. Honey, you know. Well, again, this is uh, Kevin Kilograms, and I'm out.